You're listening to the One Peter Five podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Habemus Papan. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. Hello and welcome to the One Peter Five podcast, episode number 74. I'm Steve Skojek, and today is a little bit of a bonus podcast. We did one yesterday, and I wasn't expecting to get one out today. But something happened yesterday um, that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and that is that yesterday morning I got an email from Archbishop Vigano. And uh, he said uh, in the subject line, it just said important, and uh, it was a letter that he had written to President Trump on the eve of the election, basically kind of warning him about some things that he sees going on in the world and how important this election is. Now, when I read the uh, the email, the first go-through, I really wasn't sure what to think. Um, I am very allergic to conspiracy theories, and a lot of that, I think, comes from knowing that I even have a propensity to conspiracy theories. Uh, that's going to be... <clears throat> excuse me, I've been having an allergy attack today. Um, it's It's because, you know, I grew up reading science fiction and comic books and mystery novels and all this stuff, and so I was always really excited... Whenever there was some unsolved mystery, some weird thing, you know, is it a UFO? What is it? You know, whatever. So I was always really interested in that. So sort of as a, as a corollary to that, I have cultivated a skepticism of just because it's interesting doesn't mean you should believe it. And I think in the 21st century, we have this thing that happens where, um, you know, we don't trust our leaders, not in government, not in the church. We, we don't trust uh, establishment uh, experts, scientists, doctors, things like that. There's a lot of mistrust, and it's been growing exponentially this year. And what happens is if there's a gap between what we know and who we're supposed to trust, we tend to fill in those gaps with imagination. So we have to be really careful. So reading this letter and hearing about something that I hadn't heard about before, and some of you are going to make fun of me for that because you have, um, I was skeptical at first and I ran it by a few different people and I said, what do you think about this? Is this like, is this legit? Or, you know, some people think that Archbishop Vigano is going a little bit crazy. Is, is you know, is he reading too much into things? And, and all three people were very different. They all came back to me and they're like, no, this is not only is this a real thing, even if they hadn't heard about it before, they're like, this is really important and, and it needs to get out there. So getting that, that extra corroboration, that's what I did. Published the letter last night. It was published in a bunch of different outlets, uh, but we got it out there uh, right away. And um, I kind of want to break it down a little bit and look at it from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know or didn't know until yesterday when I read the email what it was that Archbishop Vigano was talking about. And that topic is something called the Great Reset. Now, I've brought somebody in to talk to me today who knows even less about this than <laughs> I do, uh, and that is my cousin Jimmy Emmons, who lives here in Phoenix. Uh, Jimmy and I get together all the time and talk about a lot of these issues. Sometimes our conversations help to form the things that go into the content on the site of the show. He's one of my secret advisors, my secret cabal of advisors. Uh, but Jimmy, thanks for being on, especially because I know you kind of pulled this off at the last minute. Well, very last before. second, yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for having me on, Steve. <clears throat> yeah, so. Got that PTO in right at the nick of time. <laughs> good to have you. Good to have you. Um, and one thing I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to pull a Joe Rogan. You know, he's always like, you know, pull your microphone closer to your mouth. Don't do that. But your microphone is peaking. So I don't know if you have a volume control on it, but if you can turn down the volume on it a little bit, you're getting some distortion on the top end. How's that? Is that better? Uh, as long as you don't shout, it should be fine. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So this is, so the intro that I just gave 
um, I think is it, it tells you that I've only been working with this subject matter for less than 24 hours myself. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about it is because um, I kind of want to break it down a little bit from from the layman's perspective, from the guy who doesn't know anything about it. Um, like I said, there's going to be members of our audience who've been hearing about this for a long time because there are aspects of, of particularly traditional Catholic media that have been focusing on this a lot. I tend to filter really heavily against things that sound like global conspiracies. So, you know, when I hear stuff like this, I probably tuned it out. But looking at it again, what's crazy to me is that this plan, this great reset plan is right out in the open. Have you ever heard of it? Anything about it? No, I've heard absolutely nothing about the great reset. This is the first I'm hearing about it was probably what, 45 minutes ago when we first talked. Yeah, so, okay, so yeah. just to give you a really quick bit of information here, I'm looking at the website right now for the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, which is a real international organization. Uh, they get together, they have these big meetings with leaders from all over the world. And they actually have a microsite for the Great Reset. And then there is a page of information about the Great Reset. And just at the very beginning, um, it, it has a few bullet points, right? So it says, we can emerge from this crisis a better world if we act quickly and jointly. <clears throat> Excuse me. The changes we have already seen in response to COVID-19 prove that a reset of our economic and social foundations are possible and this is our best chance to instigate stakeholder capitalism and here's how it can be achieved now if you're getting a creepy vibe so am i yep. i'm gonna just i'm gonna work my way into just the first two brief paragraphs and then we're gonna move on from sure. for this for now COVID 19 lockdowns may be gradually easing but anxiety about the world's social and economic prospects is only intensifying there's good reason to worry a sharp economic downturn has already begun, and we could be facing the worst depression since the 1930s. But while this outcome is likely, it's not unavoidable. To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies. From education to social contracts and working conditions, every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. Sounds How's like some new world out? order stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, that's yeah. exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a working definition for what the new world order really well, has is. That, has that term been used in the past? The great reset? Apparently it's been around for a few years. I think that it's um, popped up under the auspices of, uh, you know, other programs. There's this mm -hmm. like Agenda 2030 for the UN. There's different stuff that it comes up yep. under. Uh, but again, having cultivated a filter against conspiracy stuff, I, I, I really haven't run across this one. Like I could tell you lots of things about the 5G conspiracy to spread COVID <laughs> because that shows up in my inbox yeah. all the time. But, but this one is one somehow I, I haven't heard about. But this is what Archbishop Bigano is warning about. So I want to go back to his warning. I'm going to do a bit of reading of excerpts here. So I hope you're a good auditory oh, no, you're uh, good. learner. You know, so that I'm going to give to you Trump. the information. What's that? Was this Vigano's letter to Trump? Or is this, this something? Vigano's like... letter to Trump, yeah. And, and okay. so it, it's, it's the one that we published last night, and it's, it's okay. everywhere. Um, and uh, basically, he's not even giving Trump a call to action. It's more like a, hey... Just to be sure this is on your radar, 
this is what's going on. And by the way, that's why this election is so important. So start praying. That's basically if I'm going to sum it up. But I'm going to give you just a few excerpts of the letter. Um, he starts out <clears throat> kind of invoking his authority. I write to you as an archbishop, as a successor of the apostles, as the former apostolic nuncio to the United States. I am writing to you in the midst of the silence of both civil and religious authorities. May you accept these words of mine as the voice of one crying out in the desert. So kind of setting this up is a prophetic mode. Yeah, it's uh, from John chapter 1, verse 23. <clears throat> so he kind of goes into some of the stuff that's going on in the world. And then he says, a global plan called the Great Reset is underway. Its architect is a global elite that wants to subdue all of humanity, imposing coercive measures uh, which drastically limit individual freedoms and those of entire populations. In several nations, this plan has already been approved and financed. In others, it's still in an early stage. Behind the world leaders who are accomplices and executors of this infernal project, there are unscrupulous characters who finance the World Economic Forum and Event 201, promoting their agenda. By the way, do you know what Event 201 is? I do not. So Event 201 was this thing that was held last October. Bill Gates was involved. I forget who else was involved. And it, 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 a lot of people have pointed out you know, how weird it is that this thing was done in October because it was a pandemic wargaming exercise about a coronavirus that spread throughout the world and in their scenario killed 65 million people in 18 months. Um, <clears throat> now, granted, coronaviruses are, in, are incredibly common viruses, so it's not weird for them to wargame a coronavirus. I'm pretty sure SARS is a coronavirus. I think H1N1 might be. Yeah. Um, you know, the common cold is one. So it, it's not a, a weird virus necessarily to wargame. Sure. Uh, I've seen fact checking on this. They're they're like they hold these exercises all the time. This is just this one was very close to when the pandemic outbreak started. So people are connecting the dots. I don't know, but but the coincidence is really bizarre. And that Gates is not only involved in that, but heavily involved in the in the vaccine and everything else. There's, you know, I mean, obviously he's a huge investor, the biggest investor in the World Health Organization after China. So he's yeah. deeply into this world anyway. But um, but yeah, I just saw Peter Gay W in the back. Thank yes, you, Peter yes you did. <clears throat> so, so, uh, so event 201, that's a thing. Um, so he goes on, the purpose of the Great Reset is the imposition of a health dictatorship, which is an interesting okay. term, aimed at the imposition of liber, uh, liberticidal measures hidden behind tempting promises of ensuring a universal income and canceling individual debt. The price of these concessions from the International Monetary Fund will be the renunciation of private property and adherence to a program of vaccination uh, against the COVID-19 and 21 viruses promoted by Bill Gates with the collaboration of the main pharmaceutical groups. Beyond the enormous economic interests that motivate the promoters of the Great Reset, the imposition of the vaccination will be accompanied by the requirement of a health passport and a digital ID with the consequent contact tracing of the population of the entire world. Those who do not accept these measures will be confined in detention camps or placed under house arrest, and all their assets will be confiscated. I actually want to get back to that point later because yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure that that is actually what's going to happen based on some other arguments I've seen, yeah. but there will be adverse consequences. Um, Mr. President, I imagine that you are already aware that in some countries the Great Reset will be activated by the end of this year in the first trimester of 21. 
Uh, for, the, for this purpose, further lockdowns are planned. We're seeing this right now. It's happening all mm. over Europe, and they're freaking France out. especially. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, last night I saw a video of, of everybody's trying to leave Paris before exactly. the lockdown. Yeah, I saw that same video. Massive gridlock. So, I mean, it looks like something out of War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so these lockdowns will be officially justified by a supposed second and third wave of the pandemic. Um, you are well aware of the means that have been deployed to sow panic and legitimize draconian limitations on individual liberties, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm going to just read a couple more quick sections of this, and then I want to talk about it. Uh, until a few months ago, it was easy to smear as conspiracy theorists, and this is something you know that speaks to my own biases, yeah. uh, those who denounced these terrible plans, which we now see being carried out down to the smallest detail. No one up until last February would have ever thought that in all of our cities, citizens would be arrested simply for wanting to walk down the street, to breathe, to want to keep their businesses open, to want to go to church on Sunday. Yet now it is happening all over the world. For this reason, it is necessary that all people of goodwill be persuaded of the epochal importance of the imminent election, not so much for the sake of this or that political program, but because of the general inspiration of your action that best embodies in this particular historical context, that world, our world, which they seem to want to cancel by means of the lockdown. Your adversary is also our adversary. It is the enemy of the human race. He was a murderer from the beginning. Um, so he's getting apocalyptic here. He yeah, talks about Joe Biden later on about how easily blackmailable he is, which will allow him to be used by, you know, these shadowy powers that are behind these kinds of programs. Um, he says that the element of hope that he sees is that the adversary does not know how to love and it does not understand that it's not enough to assure universal income or to cancel mortgages in order to subjugate the masses and have them be branded like cattle. This people, for, uh, which for too long has endured the abuses of a hateful and tyrannical power, is rediscovering that it has a soul. It is understanding that it is not willing to exchange its freedom for the homogenization and cancelization of its identity. It's beginning to understand the value of familial and social ties, the bonds of faith, and the culture that unite honest people. And so he says that the Great Reset will fail and that it's designed to fail because yeah. people are still ready to go to the streets and fight for themselves and their children and their grandchildren. Uh, and then he finishes by saying, Mr. President, you are well aware that in this crucial hour, the United States of America is considered the defending wall against which the war declared by the advocates of globalism has been unleashed. Place your trust in the Lord, strengthened by the words of the Apostle Paul. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. To be an instrument of divine providence is a great responsibility for which you will certainly receive all the graces of state that you need since they are being fervently implored for you by the many people who support you with their prayers. So that is the general tenor, having left probably half of the thing on the cutting room floor just for the sake of everybody not needing to listen to me read the entire thing like it's story hour. Um, But I think it's important, though, to get a sense of the gravity of what he's trying to address here, um, how serious he's saying that this thing is. There are parts of this that I struggle with a little bit, Um, something that, you know, probably should be addressed here is the fact that I was uh, in favor of the initial public health measures uh, about COVID as I believe you were. Yeah. Um, I mean, they seemed reasonable at the time. Shut down for. I mean, just looking at the data, looking at the information that was available, looking at the situation in China and in Italy, not knowing enough about what was going to happen, you know, and going back over some of these numbers again today, I was looking at some stuff because of a conversation I was having with somebody. I mean, this thing killed 
a million people in about six months. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like it's lost its strength. Yeah. Right. So yes, there are new waves of cases, but we don't see them tracking with hospitalizations and deaths and all that stuff. So these new lockdowns feel very political in a way that the early ones actually felt like it was a reaction. People were really scared. I mean, there was this article on LifeSite News uh, yesterday, for this coalition of doctors that are like, stop it with the masks and with all this stuff because they're not doing any good. But they, um, <clears throat> they said, in the beginning, we were all afraid because there are reason to be afraid. But now we know more and now we know how to treat this and now it's not the same. And I think that that, that transition has happened, but the political will behind this is, you know, they got a taste of what kind of power they could have over people. And now you've got Gavin Newsom in California telling people how many people they can have over for Thanksgiving yeah. and that they have to wear masks inside the house between bites of food and like all the just idiocy. You can't sing in your own house. You know, just crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, and there's that video that's been going around. I don't know if you saw it of the, of the group of Orthodox Jews that were meeting in a house in New York City and the cops come to the door because there's more than 10 people in the house. And that was reminiscent of all kinds of bad things from history. You know, so they're, they're actually planning on this. There's a, I mean, I know it's a tabloid, The Sun in the UK, but they had an article saying that the cops are warning people, yes, we're going to break up your Christmas parties. We're going to come knock on your door. If we have any indication that you have a Christmas party going on at your house, you're done. Yeah. So the threats are already starting to come. Yeah. And I think that's why people are leaving Paris in droves. That's why they're revolting in Naples and why they're revolting in Rome. I just saw a video right before we jumped on uh, this, this call. Uh, Milan right now, actually, there's no revolt. It's a ghost town. Like, there's yeah. nobody there. And I don't know if you went to Milan when you were in Europe, but, I mean, it's a very cosmopolitan city. It's actually one of the, it's the city in Italy where this whole damn thing started, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was because, well, no, but in Italy, it's the country in Italy that, that there was like this crossover between some Chinese fashion magnate and Milan is the oh, yeah. fashion center of Italy. And so there was, that was the connection between China and Italy was Milan. Um, so all of that being said, you know, there are, if you step back and look at this, if you if you think about what it is that he's saying here, I don't know about you. My gut reaction is like, okay, hold on. Like, this is a lot. I mean, you seem really sure that all this bad stuff is going to happen. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that episode of Black Mirror. Have you ever watched that show? No, I never got I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it to everybody. It's a very dark, dark version of Twilight Zone, basically. Um, but there is an episode of that show that talks about the social credit system uh, that actually exists to some form in China. But it's basically like you get rated by everybody you come into contact with and people like you and all this kind of stuff, all of your personal interactions. And that social credit score that you get from that aggregate of interactions with real humans who are rating you all the time mm -hmm. dictates where you can eat and where you can live and what kind of stuff you can buy and all this stuff. China has this. China actually has this. Yeah. And one of the articles that I was looking at in preparation for this show was talking about how, um, like, this is not detention camps, like he said, but actually using a social credit system. That's what they're going to use to try to control people. Yeah. Um, Almost like an from the type thing. What's that? Almost like a type of obedience uh, measurement. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like it's. It's uh, you get so hemmed in, you can't you can't do anything about it. This is from um, 
the Mises Institute, uh, which is obviously th those are the guys that promote the Austrian School of Economics. Uh, but they're talking about how the new world order of digital tyranny comes with the comprehensive social credit system. They mentioned that China has pioneered this. Um, for the individual, one's identity is reduced to an app or a chip that registers almost any personal activity. In order to gain a few individual rights and be it only to travel to a certain place, a person must balance, balance such apparent privileges with his submission to a web of regulations that define in detail what is good behavior uh, and deemed as beneficial to humankind and the environment. For example, during a pandemic, this sort of control would extend from the obligation of wearing a mask and practicing social distancing to having specific vaccinations, all of which would be needed in order to apply for a job or to travel. Um, so it says the machinations of this kind of social engineering operate not through brute force, but subtly by nudge. Um, and then, uh, I'm just scrolling down here. It says, so the question in these scenarios, according to Mises is the state itself does not rule. So who is in power? The state is an instrument of power. It's not the abstract state that decides, but the leaders of specific political parties and certain social groups. Earlier totalitarian regimes needed mass executions and concentration camps to maintain their power. Now, with the help of new technologies, it's believed that dissenters can be easily identified and marginalized. The nonconformists will be silenced by disqualifying divergent opinions as morally despicable. Uh, the 2020 lockdowns possibly offer a preview of how the system works. The lockdown worked as if it had been orchestrated, and perhaps it was, as if following a single command, leaders of big and small nations and of different stages of economic development implemented almost identical measures. Not only did many governments act in unison, they also applied these measures with little regard for the horrific consequences of a global lockdown. And then it goes into the economic destruction that this has caused for governments, for, for um, families, for businesses, <clears throat> et cetera. And, and what basically it's doing is the government's destroyed people's livelihoods and then the politicians showed up as the savior. So now the demand for social assistance is getting exploded and, and when you're absolutely everybody everybody winds up on the government dole would you say i said as soon as they rely completely on the government the government has all of the power yeah, it has all the power the, even a revolution well actually pretty much a revolution would be the only thing that would get you over that get you through that uh, yeah and so you look at like what's going on with all these riots and stuff oh, I mean, yeah. these are people who want free stuff what will these people who will curb stomp business owners in the street simply for existing what will these people not trade for free stuff? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's any limit to that. Yeah, do you? Not at all. No. I mean, and you're in the demographic. I hate to say it, but you know, you're in your mid twenties, and it's like that's what that seems to be the age. I don't know. Like you didn't get a lot of this indoctrination. I don't think. No. I mean, I kind of got. I don't know if I squeaked by like right at the last minute, but I mean, even with my like growing up, my education was pretty great. Um, you know, I didn't really get hit with any overt ideology. Um, until I got basically into college when I, when, I was, when I first started to interact with this garbage, quite frankly, of the, the height of the society being the absolute core of everything that we do. Um, let me think here. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so just, I mean, you feel like it was kind of what you did get was moving people towards like valuing the collective over the individual? Yes. or yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know, I mean... So I don't know what to think of this stuff because 
I just started reading about yeah. it. And on the one hand, it's plausible. Um, you know, it would, it would make a great novel. Yeah. Um, the question that I have always with these things is, you know, how, how is it possible for this stuff to actually be implemented? And, you know, how big of a conspiracy can you have without somebody messing it up? I was having a discussion with people about this today. You know, there are these people who really believe that this pandemic was orchestrated from beginning to end. And I'm like, okay, I, I, could, I could see why you might think that. But at the same time, you can't control a virus. You know, yeah. you can't, you know, it's not weird to do pandemic wargaming war because massive pandemics, they say, break out every 100 years. And smaller ones that are still deadly break out like every decade or so. Yep. So, <clears throat> you know, we didn't handle H1N1 well. I mean, the Obama administration's gotten tagged on that a bunch of times since they started criticizing Trump's handling of COVID. And it's like, well, what did you do with H1N1? Yep. Like, you guys totally dropped the ball on that. Um, and so there's always been this need to figure out how do we handle this? So does that mean that planning for that uh, is planning the pandemic? No. Could it be used that way? Yeah, I mean, I could see you putting together a playbook and being like, all right, well, we know a pandemic's gonna come, and when it does, these are the structures that we're gonna implement. Uh, we've been distributing these standards to governments around the world, and so they're, they're buying in. We think that you know we can obtain control very, very quickly. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I also, I also feel like when you look at everybody around the world, you know, the, the Mises article talks about this apparent orchestration what do you, how different of a response are people going to have when they're told that this deadly, you know, plague-like virus is going to come through and wipe out a significant percentage of their population? I don't, I don't feel like you're going to have a lot of really different reactions, especially when you only have several centralized bodies of medical knowledge that are giving you advice on what to do. Yeah. They're going to look to the CDC. They're going to look to the WHO. They're going to look to, you know, whatever, uh, you know, is in their country that, that is an equivalent body. And they're going to say, well, this is what they said to do. So we're going to do it. Yeah. If um, you don't, on the flip side, if you don't do it, and then a bunch of people die, you're the one who takes the blame for that. And then you, yeah, and the blame and the liability. Yeah. I mean, frankly, the amount of liability that exists there is huge exactly. and not just political, but financial. So, uh, you know, it's, I, I've always felt like we, we didn't have enough information about this virus when it, when it happened, um, they struggled and rushed to try to get a sense of it. The place where it broke out first was one of the worst places in the world for an outbreak to happen yeah. because China lies habitually. They use propaganda and disinformation. They tried to blame it on us. They were hiding the number of people who died. They're literally yeah. welding people into buildings and there's video of them welding the doors shut and stuff like that. No idea what's going on yeah. in there. Like they could have been chucking people into wood chippers and we wouldn't have known. Um, and so you don't know what's happening. And then the first place that gets hit after China is Italy, which had the highest death rate of any country that dealt with COVID. It's like eight or 9%, I think was what it was initially. Yeah. Um, just really, really high. And so you're looking at that and I'm thinking if I'm a, a governor, you know, of a, of a, of a state, what, how do I make decisions when everybody's like, well, we don't really know, but it's looking pretty bad and we don't have enough hospital beds and we don't have enough ventilators and we don't have enough blah, blah, blah. Um, so good luck. You know, it's like you're going to err on the side of caution. Yeah. There's no winning scenario there because if you go too far, 
No, there's not. And, and it turns out that the virus is, isn't even that big of a deal. Uh, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, now I'm a totalitarian dictator. Or on the flip side, yeah. act too uh, lightly and then a bunch of people die, then you bear the responsibility of that. And, and as we discussed, the liability. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, what is it that you're going to do? You're, you're going to err on the side of caution. You're probably going to overreach a little bit. You're going to stumble. Some of these guys, you know, like the governors in California and Michigan and New York are horrible people. And they're looking for any opportunity to grab power that they can. Others, like our governor here, I don't think he's been overbearing no, about it. Just the mask um, was the only thing. But even that, I mean, that's a small price. To pay. I really do believe I, the, masks, the masks are super annoying. But it's such a tiny little thing that it doesn't really bug me at all. It's like, all right, if it has the potential to save a life, then fine, I'll wear it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I've been in general, although I'm thinking more about the people who are having to wear these things for eight hours plus a day, you know, in a, in a store. You know, it's been a long time since I've worked retail. I couldn't wear the thing for eight hours. I can't even wear it for 20 minutes without pulling it off because it's itching my nose or whatever. Um, or like, you know, I was uh, over at a friend's house the other day and he was telling me that a guy came to work on their attic and he was in, in the roof in the attic and stuff. And he's like, it's like a hundred and some degrees. And the guy has a mask on mm-hmm. because it's his company policy. And he's like, I looked at him, I'm like, take it off, man. You're going to die. Yeah. But he's like, Oh, thanks. You know, but that's, that's our company policy. And, you know, he was able to convince him to take it off, but it's like, those situations are untenable. It's one thing to think about it of, I go into, you know, a grocery store for 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. If I got to do that, I'll do it. But, but on a bigger scale, you know, it doesn't make sense. And, and this article that I was reading from LifeSite the other day with these doctors, you know, one of them was like a neurosurgeon or something. And, and uh, they said, look, nobody has ever used masks for controlling viruses. We use them, you know, in sterile environments and things like that. But Viruses are like one one thousandth the width of a human hair. You're yeah. not going to stop them with this thing. Like it's it's going to come out. That's probably why in these bio labs they use these you know hazard suits yeah. that are fully contained and all this stuff. So anyway, but but the point is there's a lot of misinformation. Yeah. You have the CDC out there saying no, we do have evidence that masks matter. Yeah. And well, they initially this- they said don't even wear a mask because it's not going to do anything, and then they flip flop back on that. What yeah, later. they did. Yeah, and I mean, and and then we heard that they said that because they were worried there was going to be a shortage of masks, right. and they didn't want healthcare providers to not have them. But it's like, okay, so you're willing to lie to us yep. to get us to do what you want? I mean, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, the CDC's got a case study up still on their website, you know, saying, well, there's evidence that masks help because there was this hair salon, and the the two hairdressers both had COVID. And they had 161 patients come through and none of them got sick. And there's a case in South Korea where a lady was in a Starbucks and everybody was eating and drinking with their masks off and she was infected and 53 people got infected. And the only ones who didn't were the four workers who had masks on. So you get this information. And again, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm a governor, right? I'm not smarter than the average guy. I'm I'm not, you know, I I have medical advisors and they're telling me. You know, actually, if I'm a governor, chances are I'm yeah. dumber, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm no, no, no. Come on. they're not stupid. Come on, man. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, what are you going to do? How, what policy are you going to make? So I have a hard time looking at this in terms of conspiracy and orchestration. Yeah. I do think it's possible, though, that they built the parameters of, you know, if you're wargaming, if you're if you've got an evil lair and you're wargaming, how do I get the most control over the most people? 
something like a public health crisis or a war are really the two big things, right? Even I don't know if you saw the Jordan Peterson video where he talks about how people are most willing to give up their individual freedoms during times of pandemic over anything else. No, I did not see that. He must have recorded that a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. I believe it was 2018. But uh, it came out. I mean, that made the rounds a couple months ago. I'm actually surprised you didn't see it. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's what people are going to do if their safety is threatened, if their parents, their elderly parents are threatened, if their kids are threatened, they're going to take precautions because it's worth compromising a little bit in order to stay safe. Well, it's like fighting. And that, okay. I think, no, go. Well, no, I was going to say it's like fighting a beast in the dark. Okay, you look outside the window and you hear the rustling of the leaves. You hear the rustling of the leaves, and your imagination says, you know, it immediately triggers that response. I'm holding a pipe, by the way. Um, of what the heck yeah. is that out there? You know, and you don't go, oh, it might be just a rabbit. You know, if you got your whole family there and you're out in the middle of the woods and you go and you see this like, tiny little figure, you don't, you can't risk it just being a tiny rabbit. You and may imagine the worst thing it could possibly be. And then you uh, defend yourself accordingly. And so when it comes to a pandemic, it's the exact same thing. You hear that it could be horrible. And so you imagine that, that terror, and it terrorizes you into giving up all of your different, all of the freedoms that you do have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think that there was an aspect to this thing that was kind of like Russian roulette, Mm -hmm. right? And the thing that I balked at every time somebody would be like, well, you know, it's got a 99.96% survival rate for anybody under the age of 70. And I was like, well, the weird thing is, in our circle of people that we know who have gotten this thing, either, and it's no more than two people removed, Mm -hmm. right? So my wife knows... Uh, she, one of her best friends from high school, uh, his sister died of it in her forties. She, one of the day traders guys that she works with, uh, got it in his thirties and very healthy young guy, no comorbidities. He was sick with it for two months, really sick, got, got pneumonia, uh, went to our doctor the other day, Catholic doctor the other day. And he was talking about a pregnant patient that he had young woman pregnant got it so bad that she was in the ICU three times. Um, One of my readers and one of my regular guys that I interact with on Twitter, his wife had two uncles that died from it in in the span of a week, one of whom was in his 40s. Local restaurant owner here in Scottsdale. Guy was 45 years old at a Mexican restaurant that was really popular. Got it, died. Like, I don't know of anybody in my immediate proximate circle, the the closeness to people who've had it, who's over the age of 50. And so when I hear that, I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, first of all, old people, I care about them too. Sick people, I care about them too. Like, I don't want them to die either. You know, my dad is in his late 60s. He's not that old, but he's in a high risk category. You know, I don't want him to go. Like, he still matters. You know, so that argument bothered me. But then it's also just like everybody I know who's dying of this that I'm aware of is my age. I'm not... You know, I don't want to play the game of Russian roulette. I don't want to be like, well, maybe the bullet's not going to hit me, yeah. you know, if I bring it home. And, and so I think a lot of people have that feeling of, well, the data is saying one thing, but anecdotal evidence is telling me that there's more to the story. Yeah. <clears throat> and so all of that is useful. So if you're going to set up a, a system where you're going to create parameters and say, well, we're going to control people and we're going to use their own fear against them. Yes, I can see how that would be the case, but I don't know how you implement that on a global scale. Um, and it would be nice for more of that information to come out. It sounds to me like this great reset thing though, 
what, what you can't tell is is this is this the cart or is it the horse? Like, was the horse secret and they they set something up and then they were like, oh, and by the way, here's the cart. Now that everybody's getting used to these lockdowns, by the way, we're going to do this great reset. Or did they did they orchestrate the pandemic? I mean, because look, we know China released it, right? We know that they intentionally released it into the world. We don't know if it was engineered. We know it came from a lab. We know it escaped. And we know that they locked down domestic travel, but kept international travel going, which you don't do unless you're planning on infecting other people. But but, but beyond that, we just don't know. Um, But is, I mean, is China in league with these people? I don't know. Like, China seems like it does its own thing. I, I have no idea how you begin to parse all that out at a high level. Yeah. Nothing? You got nothing? nothing. Well, I mean, part of it is, is you know, it, can it really be put down to a single government or a single body of people that's trying to do this? Or is everyone just trying to win their own game? You know, I think China's best interest is for China. America's interested in America. You know, it, we may have these you know, shadow figures, like you mentioned earlier, that are trying to, you know, influence the direction of the world. It's the poster child for that. Um, you know, the question remains is, is that really happening? In the, I don't know. You know, I, it seems like Vegan Oath seems to think so. Um, and other ones wouldn't have written yeah. a letter to Trump. So I have no idea. I have no idea what to think about how much of this may have been orchestrated. I don't know if this is opportunism or if this is step two or three of a, of a big plan. But the fact is, is that there's a lot of stuff out there about this, you know, this great reset, mm-hmm. um, which I really don't like the name of. Yeah. You know, I'm all about, you know, resetting bad stuff, but they seem to want to reset good stuff. There's an article, too. Um, you know, it's funny because. I haven't really listened to Glenn Beck in years. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be a big fan of his. I think he's a genius at what he does, but he got weird in the 2016 election year, and I just couldn't take gotcha. it anymore. Um, but there's an article on his site, and it's not by him. It's by another writer. Uh, looking at Joe Biden's connection to the Great Reset. And so this has been a, a pretty critical issue here is the question of how much of a puppet is this yeah. guy? Does China own him? John Zmirak was on yesterday. He's like, China owns him lock, stock, yeah. and barrel. This article kind of takes a look at it. And again, this puts China back into the context of China does own the WHO. Mm-hmm. Basically, they, they have the most invested money in there. Like, how much are they orchestrating this? Is, you know, is this uh, the errors of Russia spreading to the yeah. world? Um, you know, to use a Fatima argument. But okay, so Despite having sold himself as a moderate, just going to read a little from this article, uh, for decades, Biden has consistently shown that his views on globalism and America's place in the world are far from mainstream. This argument is best proven by examining Biden's close ties to the World Economic Forum. Hey, we've, we've been talking about them. Weird. Uh, which is now pushing for a remarkably troubling great reset of capitalism in the many statements Biden has made over the past several years, echoing great reset ideology. Um, ba 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 ba. So they're talking a little bit more about Great Reset. And down, I'm going to scroll down. Although Biden, to my knowledge, has never been asked directly about whether he supports the Great Reset, he has made numerous comments echoing similar talking points. For example, in July, Biden called for the end of the era of shareholder capitalism. Additionally, just like the World Economic Forum and supporters of the Great Reset, Biden has said government should use the coronavirus pandemic as a justification to, quote, rewrite the social contract of the United States. This, this is Biden? Right. This is Biden who said Holy this. Holy crap. Yeah, should use 
the the pandemic to rewrite the social contract and they link to uh the commencement address he gave at columbia law yep. in may of this year so that's a direct quote biden's uh build back better plan also comes straight out of the great reset movement's playbook for many years supporter of the great reset at the world economic forum and elsewhere have talked about building back better by dramatically expanding the power of government pursuing costly green infrastructure plans and substantially increasing the authority of international institutions uh, skipping down a little more, in May 2020, the World Economic Forum posted to its website an article entitled Building Back Better. So using the same language that Biden does, here's how we can navigate the risks we face after COVID-19, in which the writer argued, quote, we have to look at ways to build back better. And it's very clear that investing in greener economies is going to be a huge part of recovery efforts, end quote. Uh, why that's clear, I don't know, because all of those things are just money pits, but okay. Um, on July 13th, 2020, less than a week after Biden called for an end to the era of shareholder capitalism while promoting his own Build Back Better plan, the World Economic Forum published a piece titled, To Build Back Better, We Must Reinvent Capitalism, Here's How. Uh, and then it goes into some of his associations. John Kerry, you know, is the co-chair of his climate change task force. He has publicly backed the Great Reset. Uh, Pete but you, you, Peter Buckgig. Yeah, Peter Buckgig. Uh, not to be confused. Not with Peter Gig. <laughs> Different guy. Different guy. Uh, who has been named to Biden's transition <laughs> team. Uh, is a member of the World Economic Forum's uh, Forum of Young Global Leaders. Um, Buckgig's <laughs> climate <laughs> policy advisor. It is Friday afternoon. Yeah. That is also the worst name in politics behind Andrew. Yeah, yeah. I really <laughs> Especially for a gay guy. Yeah. Uh, is affiliated with the World Economic Forum and authored in blah, 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 Building Back Better, whatever. So he's got a bunch of associations. He's got relationships with at least three World Economic Forum board members. Um, you know, so lots of connections there. I, I think they're really counting on him getting into office to start doing this thing. But what that looks like and how it gets implemented still is not yet clear to me. But I think... Um, I don't know. It's funny because I, I put up this thing from, you know, you know, after consultation with people that I trust and, uh, some people react to it the same way that my initial thing was, which is like, maybe, is so yeah, bizarre. it's a conspiracy theory. It sounds crazy, but the amount of information that's out there in the public about this is what's crazy yeah. to me. I mean, they're not even hiding it that, they, that this is what they want to do. And, you know, it's scary when they're saying things like they want to to reset capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, to reset anything that's good. Know. Yeah. And, and so back to the World Economic Forum, they say, clearly the will to build a better society does exist. We must use it to secure the great reset that we so badly need. Why we so badly mm-hmm. need it? They don't say. Uh, that will require stronger and more effective governments because that's what we need. Uh, the Great Reset Agenda would have three main components. The first would steer the market toward fairer outcomes. That's like a quality funny. of outcome uh, rather than a quality of opportunity. But that sounds yeah, like. so to this end, governments should improve coordination, for example, in tax, regulatory, and fiscal policy, upgrade trade arrangements, and create the conditions for a, quote, stakeholder economy, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Um, 
Moreover, governments should implement long overdue reforms that promote more equitable outcomes. Yep, again, outcome. Depending on the country, these may include changes to wealth taxes, the withdrawal of fossil fuel subsidies, and new rules governing intellectual property trade and competition. So how those play out, I don't know. Um, I'm just looking at... Uh, they're, they're talking more about green infrastructure, uh, incentives on environmental, social, and governance metrics. The third and final priority of a Great Reset Agenda is to harness the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution. What is that term? Do you know I that term, know the that fourth, fourth industrial revolution? I don't know that term, the fourth industrial revolution. Let's look that up. I want to know what that is. Fourth industrial revolution is the digital revolution. Okay, which makes sense. The ongoing or the ongoing automation of traditional manufacturing and industrial practices using smart technology. It's just not a jargon that I'm familiar with. Uh, but using that to support the public good, especially by addressing health and social challenges, during COVID-19, companies, universities, and others have joined forces to develop diagnostics, therapeutics, and possible vaccines, establish testing centers, create mechanisms for tracing infections, and deliver telemedicine. Imagine what could be possible if similar concerted efforts were made in every sector. So, you know, this contact tracing thing, the, there's a lot of double-edged swords yeah. in here. And that's why I think this is actually really clever, maybe even diabolically sure. clever, if I want to put on my own conspiracy hat. Um, because you can argue that there are reasonable cases for all this stuff. Just like we could argue there were reasonable cases yeah. for shutdowns in the beginning of COVID. Um, there, there were reasonable. If it was as bad as they said it was going to be, it was the right yeah. thing to do. Well, for a time. It isn't as, for a time. as bad as they said it was going to be. Uh, it was bad. Yeah. It was definitely worse than a flu. Um, you know, flu killed 32,000 people in 2018 to 2019 in the U.S., and this thing's killed almost 230,000 yeah. people in a shorter time, in six yeah. months. It's worse if you get it until it's not. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. But, 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 I mean, there was a reasonable, I think initial reaction and had it only been for a month would have been yeah. a lot different month <clears throat> whatever same thing with this contact tracing oh i get it like it makes sense you know did you i mean don't you think like oh well if we want to know where somebody got it from if we want to stop the 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 spread of infection there's there's a reasonable idea behind of like well if we know the people you were in where contact you know. with we can talk to all of them. yeah and we can make sure that they know that they've been exposed and blah, blah, blah. And you can make a reasonable sounding case mm -hmm. for that. You can also use it to completely control everybody's personal information mm -hmm. and keep tabs on them and use it for other things like, oh, by the way, your social credit score isn't good because you threw the wrong thing in your recycling bin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the garbage truck that's been equipped with new sensors to detect that you put styrofoam in the recycling bin says that you didn't get your carbon credit situation mm -hmm. right. And so, by the way, you don't get to eat at any restaurant that's, you know, above whatever yeah. grade, you know, or whatever. And so this is happening in China, and, right? I mean, yeah, it's happening in China. Not exactly. I mean, that's a scenario okay. that I just made up. But it's like, but in China, they are using a social credit system to affect where people can travel, what kind of jobs they can get, where yeah. they can live. I mean, all this kind of stuff. You know, are you a good citizen? Are you, are you a good, you know, member of the proletariat? Yeah. And and they're using that to reward people who are kiss ups to the to the communist government, and to punish people who are not through marginalization and ostracization, which is really terrifying. Yeah. Especially to people like us who are like, well, I'm not going to go along no. with that. I mean, 
That's not a game I'm going to play. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to die in the first week. As soon as that happens, I'm done. <laughs> Just game over. Someone's going to say, uh, we need you to go back inside. And I, I Normally, if they just asked me nicely, I'd go back inside. But as soon as you like try to force me, I'm going to get shot, man. It's over. We're going to end up like living in the mountains, you know, hunting drones <laughs> and, and taking the parts and building scrap radio. That actually sounds really interesting. <laughs> That's like video game vibe. Like, yeah, it does, except for we have no idea how to do anything. I like to think I've survived three and a half weeks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. How many choyas do you think you could eat, you know, <laughs> if you burn all the spines off? That's a good question. Oh, man, I'm taking your dog first. That's that's number one. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not much. Uh, yeah, so I don't know, man. Like, listening to all <laughs> this, just kind of mulling over it for the first time. What do you think? So, I mean... You really just got to think about it for a while. You know, I would love to go over the evidence, you know, one more time, like read through all of it rather than like you know, just be, have it be read to me just one time. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's. I have a hard time buying that it's been orchestrated. Um, I could see that it's really being, hey, you know, we had this idea of, you know, having well, the yeah, great reset one more time. And then they see the opportunity that the coronavirus has created. And now they're going to use that opportunity yeah. to, to go ahead and move forward with the plan. Now, I could see that as being very realistic and something that is a cause for concern. I have a very hard time sure. believing that it was orchestrated as a one cohesive unit. Could be. Although, ultimately, I don't know if it matters, does it? I mean, if the outcome's the same, that's the yeah. question is, if they can still pull off the same effect. Well, maybe not orchestrated by man. How do you so, I mean, it? it could be, well, I mean, oh. spiritualizing it, you know, I mean, if yeah. we look at the, I mean, look at the United States, it's moving more and more into the socialist. I thought you meant the dolphins <laughs> were finally revolting against us. We're going to get that again. Get those damn no, but if you look at the, <laughs> trying to be serious. If you look at the, Sorry, the United States, it's, it's dramatically shifting to the left. I was looking at some statistics today. I, I can't remember where I was reading them, but um, the overwhelming uh, group of like 18 to I believe 35 is becoming more and more socialist, especially within the young. And the older they get, the more uh, capitalist they are. Um, and that's obviously that's a cause for concern for anyone who's not familiar with the history of you know the Marxist movement. You know, and one thing I've, I've really been wanting to do is to look into the political ideology that motivates you know Marxism and how it's moving forward. Um, you know, yeah. to see first how did it happen in Russia. You know, compare that to what's going on here, you know, because this doesn't look like it's just been a, a one time thing or really within the last you know, 150 years. You know, I'd love to compare it with the French Revolution, especially and see what the similarities are. See if this this, you know, everybody at the bottom, you're on the bottom, not because, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, and then people can use that as a means of gaining power. And I'm very afraid that it's happening right now in the United States. But to be completely honest, I haven't really looked at it as, as like the globalist kind of agenda. I haven't really looked into that yet. It's funny how when you're a student of history and you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, that pattern was emerging. But when you're in the middle of it, you're like, what's for yeah. dinner? Like, you, I mean, you're literally caught up in the everyday life and you don't see necessarily that you're on a cusp of a thing until you're already in yeah. it. And I mean, I've gone through the thing. When I was your age, a little bit older, um, you know, I I started to become very paranoid about what the government was going to do. Um, 
you know, whether the country was going to wind up being completely taken over, you know, all these fears. It's part of the reason why I, I stopped doing the conspiracy thing is because I was living this doom and gloom mentality of they're out to get us. They're coming to get us. We got to be ready. We got to be preppers. We got to be this. And it was like, meanwhile, you know, my wife's like, hey, by the way, uh, life is happening all around you. And you're worried about what might happen down the road, but you're not here. Right now. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I have enough of a problem with that anyway, because I'm an abstract thinker and I'm always in my head, but it's like worrying about what might happen can become an addiction and it's not a healthy one. Um, So I I didn't want to do that anymore. But then when you look at all this stuff happening now, it's, you know, Trump said it himself the other day. He said, I... I know I've said it before. I said it in 2016 that this is the most important election of our lifetimes. And I meant it then, but I mean it even more now. We can't let these people win. They're crazy. And that's not just Trumpian hyperbole. Like that's, they're literally nuts. And the stuff that they are doing in the cities and, and, and letting people just get away with crime and mayhem and murder and pillaging. And it's just like, how what i don't want to live you know i keep describing it as a as a biff tannen post almanac future yeah. you know like that whatever he turned hill valley into like tannerville or whatever yeah. tannenville it was awful it was dystopian and it's like we got to fix the timeline like right now <laughs> or we're gonna wind up yeah. there i don't have it more well i mean my metaphor is getting way too back yeah, to the future you're but dating you know, yourself right now that's it's pretty bad yeah i am I'm only 26 man i'm not understanding your references You've seen these movies. Yeah, I Come am on. messing with you. Jim, I mean, <laughs> don't do that to me. It's not fair. It's not so, fair. I, mean, well, I mean, the big question is, is who's going to win the election? Um, that's, yeah. It's really going to decide the soul of the United States. Do you have any gut feelings? Well, I mean, I feel like you know, people will make a better decision once Kamala Harris announces who her VP pick is going to be. I mean, at this point, it's just rude. <laughs> He actually, Biden actually said the other day that, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's running on the Harris Biden ticket or something. That was a couple of weeks ago. He said he had a pretty bad gaff the other day. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, but I mean, he's, he's essentially admitted it multiple times that he's not the one running the show and everybody knows it. I mean, that's the thing, like their winning strategy for him is to to basically keep him in the basement mm. because the more he talks, the more points yeah. they lose. Cause he's well, interesting. I mean, that was, that's been a, a right wing talking point for a while now is the mental deterioration of Biden. But I mean, if you look at the first, you know, the debates, I, I didn't think he did horribly. Like, he was able to present himself. Well, a lot of people think that he's up on drugs and I, and I really wonder if that really was the case. Um, but if you look at the way that he's t- talking when the aren't scripted, you know, when it, off the cuff when yep. it's he has to actually think critically he, there's just nothing and it, it's yeah. unbelievable that people are even considering voting for him that are catholic well and it's like zmerak said to me yesterday it just goes to show the arrogance yeah. of the left that they're like we can run anybody yeah. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who it is because we'll beat trump with anybody we throw up there it can be a transparent mm-hmm. puppet show doesn't even matter because we own this and so what's crazy is we didn't talk about this 
Uh, but this is another article that I was looking at. Here, let me, let me switch my windows around so that I can find it. Um, this this article from American Greatness, I'm not familiar with the publication, but it's uh, entitled, Is China Funding the Phony Joe Biden Campaign? And it talks about how the amount of money that the Democrats have yeah. raised is ridiculous. You know, about how Biden has no supporters on the mm -hmm. ground, you know? He gets 30 people at his rally and Trump's attracting yeah. 30,000. Or, like here in Arizona, Biden had zero. There were zero people. I tried getting rally. into every Trump rally this year, and I wasn't able to get a ticket yeah. for even one. It was unbelievable. Meanwhile, like video of the empty Trump, uh, Biden rally here in Arizona uh, was only aired on the local news. And, and Which doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know it either. Yeah. So, but they have raised hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. There's this organization called Act Blue. I don't know what they do. I didn't have time to look into it enough, but they have raised $3.5 billion in the last 10 months. And that's on top of the existing donors for the Democratic yeah. Party. Um, it says here in this article, it doesn't include the half a billion or more from Democrats' 50 billionaire backers. It doesn't count Soros's quarter of a billion Open Society Foundation. Um, it doesn't include Facebook's uh, Mark Zuckerberg's legally questionable privatization of election process by spending $400 million for unmonitored ballot boxes in Democratic districts, which is an invitation to illegal ballot harvesting. Where does the $3.5 billion in Act Blue money to defeat Trump and buy Congress come from? Nobody knows. And it talks about how they're, they're just getting away with stuff um, that, that is probably yeah. illegal. They don't know if they're, people are using fake names. Because there are or, limits to how much um, money people can donate, or even an organization, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy, Phil Klein, uh, wrote on Real Clear Politics. Act Blue has leveraged its powerhouse presence to negotiate a special relationship with banks so that it doesn't have to reveal donor names when mm. processing gift cards as is normally required. Some people have long suspected this allows Act Blue or a mega donor to easily break large donations down into smaller gifts to avoid campaign yep. finance laws. Um, but I mean, so you can't trace it. $3.5 billion? Mm. Where? I mean, does every that come from? You know, and the question that they ask at the end is, after four years of President Trump in action, how much do you think China would give to get rid of Trump and put Biden in power? And I, I mean, I don't think it's out of the or, uh, out of the question to say China is yeah. the one giving the money. No, I... but what does it buy you? Well, I mean, what does it buy you? Like all that money, and you have a candidate that's about as appealing as an Ambien. Like what? I don't know. Well, the... I don't know. I don't know. It makes it really hard to gauge what's going to happen because, you know, your gut feeling is based on pattern yeah. recognition and, and, you know, you're able to ascertain actual things that are going on. And, and to some extent, if you're an empathetic person, person, you can measure enthusiasm that you feel. I mean, when I drove with the family on Sunday down the 101 oh gosh, yeah. heading towards the West Valley... And that Trump train was going by for miles and miles and miles. I was like, holy cow. I didn't even know this thing was happening. And it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars and trucks with the flags on them. And it was crazy. I'd never seen anything like it. That kind of enthusiasm, I, I mean, I know I'm not 
90 years old, but I've never seen that in my lifetime mm-hmm. for anybody. But on the other hand, how do, how do you know? How do you trust the polls when you know that people aren't willing to talk about who they're going to vote for because it's so polarized, yep. they don't want to talk to anybody. You know, I'll talk, I'll get on the air and I'll talk about it and I'll, I'll go online and I'll write about it. But I'm not going to put a sign out in my yard and invite crap from my neighbors. Why would I want to do that? It could put you in danger, especially yeah, with the kids that were going on earlier in the year. Like, it's, there's legitimate yeah. danger to going out there as a Trump supporter right now. Right. And, and so what do you get by it? If you put a yard sign, is somebody going to no. vote for Trump you know, or, or Biden because you put a yard sign out? No, no it's just the real There's literally – so I walk around my neighborhood – one, yeah. one lawn I sign, seen. and it's a Biden sign, but it's, it's like one sign, and nobody. Else I counted. Well, I said I haven't seen any, but I've counted. I've been counting for the last couple of months because I wanted to see, and I've only seen about five or six. It's unbelievable. No yeah. So I, I mean, I think the possibility of a silent uh, majority is very strong. And Newt Gingrich came out today, and he said he thinks that Trump's going to win in a landslide. Three hundred twenty-six electoral college votes was his specific prediction, which. You got to know a lot more about politics than we do to make that kind of a prediction <laughs> about how many electoral college votes you're going to get. But um, he's confident. I mean, they're, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, I, I think he's going to win Florida based on just the, I mean, the anecdotal evidence I see when I walk outside. I think he's going to win Arizona as well. Um, the the news was talking about how Minnesota was up for grabs, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about because it's so dominated by the radical left. Um, and then you have other states like Michigan. Michigan looks like it's going to go blue. But, I mean, you have all these battleground states that the – when you go and see the amount of rallies and the amount of people that Trump is bringing to them, and you in these states, you can't imagine that Biden – through that. Well, and so this is the thing. I mean, you talked about how you couldn't get a ticket to any of the rallies. So those are – 30, 40, 50,000 people in these places sometimes. And that's a representative sample of the people who wanted to go but couldn't get there. It's on weekdays. It's during work. It's, you know, like whatever, like people yeah. can't go. I, I know some from San Diego just to go to the one to Tucson. I was like, that's two hours from me. Really? That's that's crazy that they drew, drove all the way there. Yeah, that's like a six-hour yeah. drive from San Diego. Jeez, I don't know, man. It's so it's impossible to gauge. I don't trust the polls. The polls are all showing that Trump is pulling either in close or ahead, though. Uh, I've seen most... Biden. Only ever seen Biden ahead. At least the ones that I've seen. In the last couple of days, uh, there have been a couple that have put uh, Trump up in certain areas. You know, so I think we're going to see a lot of polling over the weekend. But I mean. It's it's going to be impossible to gauge, but I mean, he wasn't supposed to win in yeah. 2016. I mean, they had, a- and Gingrich says that he thinks he's in a better position to win now than he was then. I I will publicly say I think you're wrong. He's going to win Arizona. Trump will win Arizona. I, um, I think he's got a shot at Florida. I think he's actually got a shot at Pennsylvania right now. Um, the Philly riots are not helping Pennsylvania. And, you know, they're saying that one of the biggest Google searches right now is how do I change my vote? Because people who voted earlier are like, this yeah. is insane, you know? And this is the thing. Like, you can't live in a city and, and these 
Mad Max roving mobs of, of thugs come through and are destroying everything. And you're like, I feel safe with this. I want to continue this policy. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I've never paid as much attention to local elections um, because you're like, like one of my friends was saying the other day, it's like, you know, they're paving yeah. the streets, whatever. You're not paying that close attention. After this year, oh, yeah. I want to know that my mayor is endorsed yep. by the cops. That's what I'm, I'm looking at. up, Who's you know, what it is, what it is that my mayoral candidate is saying about the, the BLM protests. And if they're saying this is unacceptable, we're going to shut them down, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for you. You know, it, and, and so that matters to people. I, I, I think there's a personal incentive for people to say, this isn't, I don't want this happening where I live. Um, and they're seeing that it's, it's their Democrat yeah. governors and their Democrat mayors allowing that it. are, you know. Not just allowing it, but supporting it in a lot of places. I mean, remember Chaz? Yeah. Cops to stand down. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. absolutely insane. So. You know, and I think Arizona is still one of the more conservative states in the country. I know there's a lot of influx from California, but I think it's more libertarian. I think it's more libertarian than liberal. So we get a lot of social liberalism here, but we get a lot of people who are also either fiscally conservative or who are big on gun rights. I mean, it's a huge gun rights state. Um, And all of that stuff matters, too, because right now, and this is, again, going back to yesterday's podcast with Smirak, he's like, right now, Second Amendment is more important than it has ever Absolutely. been in the history of this country because the people who want to take it away are coming for it right now. Like you need to be yeah. able to protect yourself, and you need to be able to protect yourself if the government fails you. If they tell the cops to stand down, you Absolutely. need to be able to stand up. And and that's something that I you know we really haven't faced in America before. So I don't. I think it's going to be important. Um, you know this great reset thing. I mean they're going to try to push it either way. That may be what's going on in Europe, you know, again, rioting and protests happening in Italy, happening in France, happening in Spain, it's going to keep spreading. People are like, we're not locking yeah. down anymore. You know, my friend Hillary White was telling me that uh, in Italy, the people went along with all the restrictions because they were basically promised, well, we won't lock down if you do all the social distancing stuff. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they imposed lockdowns. They said restaurants have to close at 6 p.m. Italy, like that's Italy is not, not starting the dinner thing until yeah. 6 to 8. You know, so it kills the business of all those restaurants. Because they're a late dinner culture. That's just yeah. how they do, you know. And it's like, so the people are just like, no, we're, we're not going to stay home. We're not going to follow the curfew. We're not going to do anything. I want to know where everybody who was leaving Paris was supposed to be going. Where, where no, are they yeah. headed? Not Nice or Nice, however you say that. Nice. Yeah, it's Nice. No, it is nice, not nice. But it is. So I prefer nephew. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. it's, my, it's my preferred Mediterranean vacation yeah. destination. <laughs> nephew. And on that note, uh, <laughs> I, I just don't think we're going to go. Yeah. All right, Jim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Now that I'm just right, going to hang up good. on you. All right, so All right we'll talk tomorrow, soon. Actually. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Do you love One Peter Five? Do you want to join in our fight? Go to onepeter5.com forward slash donate today. Thank you for your support.
Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Please make sure to like this video, share it, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the notification bell icon so that you get notified when new videos come out. And please, we are up at the end of the month and have a shortfall on our fundraising. If you enjoy the work that we do, please go to onepeter5.com forward slash donate and make a tax deductible contribution today. We would super appreciate it. Thanks. God bless you. See you next time.